up your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Um, this is where we're at in our study. We began the Gospel of Luke a few weeks ago. Um, we made it through um, chapter 1 last week, and now we're going to enter into chapter 2. Uh, before we do so, I'd like to pray, um, and as we're praying for all the other churches in our community this week, if we can pray together with uh, pray to, pray together for our brothers and sisters and, and the staff there at the Canyon Community Baptist Church. Pastor there is, is David, Pastor David Almond. Almanzar, and uh, the associate pastor is Steve um, Holcomb, and um, his, uh, their, their youth pastor uh, is uh, Brent. And so we'll pray for them and pray for the church this morning as well as for our time in God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, the sunshine today. Um, the uh, cool air um, reminds us, Lord, that we're in this new season. And I am always grateful, God, um, for that. It reminds me that you're in control of all things. The days, the months, the years, God, and, and you appoint um, specific things during these times. And you have for since the beginning of time, and you'll do so until um, you return. And uh, all prophecy will be fulfilled. And we're grateful, Lord, that we get to see and be a part of it. And to live in this day and age, Lord, in these last days, as the Bible tells us, where we're looking expectantly for your son, Jesus, for that season, Lord, where we'll be together with you in, in eternity forever. Um, and Lord, for our time this morning, as we're here waiting expectantly for your return, we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, who you left with us, the Holy Spirit whom you left with us, so that we're not orphans, um, um, and that we are um, equipped and empowered, um, Lord, to live the life that you've called us to. Uh, we pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us by your word. And Lord, that you would meet each of us where we're at. And we also lift up our brothers and sisters at the Canyon Community Baptist Church. Uh, we thank you for that ministry there um, with Pastor David and the rest of his staff. We pray you would bless them and their wives and their children today. We pray, God, that as they also study your word and worship you, that you would be um, lifted up, that you would be enthroned on, on the praises of your people like you are here today. And, God, that you'd be glorified in all that goes on there. We pray, God, that they would continue to be a light into this community that draws people to you and that they may experience the love and forgiveness that we've experienced. We pray protection and provision over them today. We ask, God, that you would bless them. And we pray, God, that you would bless our time here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. Um, before we read, I just want to point out a couple of things to you. If you guys have read ahead or if you know where we're at in context of the Scripture, you know that this chapter, um, record, which records the birth of our Messiah, and the events surrounding it, it's an amazing chapter. Um, and it's a wonderful account that most people are familiar with. And where, as Justin said, Christmas has come. All the decorations are beautiful. Thank you to everybody who helped uh, put them together uh, this weekend. Um, but uh, this is the chapter. This is the, the, the Christmas story. And um, however, this account... Uh, which tells us how God, the creator of everything, had entered into creation, how he had come 
to save us by humbly, as we read here, humbly and perhaps unexpectedly entering into his creation as a, as a helpless human baby who was born in a place where animals were kept in a stable and then laid in a place where animals ate in a manger, that certainly is not what we might expect to read. And as I began to think about this and, and, and go, well, what, what would we might expect if God, the creator, was to enter into his creation? And, and, and I'm not God, obviously, and probably you guys are grateful for that, but I was thinking, if I was God, how would I enter into creation? You know, how would I, I let the people know that I am here to save them? And, and I really, I thought about another instance, another passage of Scripture, which we're familiar with. But, you know, um, we might rec- expect to read, I would expect to read something like the sky being filled with flashes of lightning, right? And the cracking of thunder just before it rolled up or rolled back to reveal the awesome an all-powerful creator descending from his eternal throne in order to save us. And as his foot then touched the earth, there was a great quake that was felt as the ground would split open to give way to the Son of God's majestic presence. To me, that sounds like a better way. Yet this is not what happened when Jesus first came to the earth. For at the first time, we know for the first time that, that he came, he, the first time that he entered into his creation uh, to come and, and save us, it was not as the mighty conqueror, but he came to save us as a humble, humble servant, a humble servant who was willing to give up his life as a ransom payment and a substitute sacrifice, the Bible tells us, for whosoever is willing to put their faith in him and follow after him. Now, even though there is coming a day, according to the book of Revelation, a day when Jesus will return to the earth as the mighty conqueror in a way that I just described, the fact of the matter is, is he came as a helpless baby in fulfillment of prophecy, just like God had said he would. And and we want to look at that this morning as we enter into chapter 2. And so in verse 1, if you'll follow along with me, it says, And it came to pass, verse 1, chapter 2, In those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Father, this chapter speaks truly, God, of um, your majesty in a way that we may not always understand it. And God, how you were glorified through humility, and it's a wonderful example for us, Lord. And in this we see tremendous grace being poured out upon our lives. 
So Father, help us to understand this additional aspect of grace that you've shown to us in our lives this morning, Lord, so that you may be glorified and so that we may fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, by this simple statement, this first statement here in verse 1, right? Luke tells us that these things, he says, came to pass in those days. And that's, that's a pretty awesome statement when I think about it, because when you read that statement, it came to pass in those days, we're reminded that what has been recorded in this chapter, as Luke has started off from the beginning to tell us, is that it's, that it's actual history. Luke doesn't start off and say, once upon a time, right? Like a lot of fictional fantasies with made-up things for us to, to, to then be entertained with. This is a real count. It came to pass in those days. It's a real count with real events and real people of history. And Luke begins to, to he, he, he records these things for us. People of history like Caesar Augustus. And, and if you study history, we know Caesar Augustus was a pretty important person. He was born on September 23rd, 63 B.C., and the Bible accounts him, a real person, at a real time, in a real place, that had a, a role to play in God's plan of salvation. Not only was he born, we know, on September 23rd, 63 B.C., he also died on August 19th, A.D. 14. And not only that, he was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And when, I don't have time to give you a, a, a history lesson, but when you study out this leader at this particular time in history of, in relationship to God's plan of salvation, you see really, really, really awesome things that God had done to prepare the way for the Messiah. Go and study it out. Look it up. Read about him. The first emperor of the, of the, of the, of the Roman Empire, and he controlled imperial Rome from 27 B.C. until his death in A.D. 14. And these, these world-changing events that Luke writes about here for us in this chapter, they came to pass, he says, he says they came to pass at the same time that Caesar Augustus had given this decree that the entire world should be registered. And in verse 2, Luke goes on, he goes one step further in documenting these things as a historical account, right? Things that came to pass in those days by telling us how this, this event first took place, that this census first took place even while Quirinius, even while Quirinius was governor over Syria. Two people of history. And, and it's significant because when we think about Syria in relationship to the northern part of Israel, we also know that Judea, the region that we're talking about when you study it out, was also under his authority of this governor. But even though, even though verse 1 tells us that Caesar Augustus had ordered this decree, and that Joseph and Mary, who were in Nazareth at the time, had to then travel to their own city of Bethlehem in order to be counted, right? You need to understand, we need to understand that it's not the real reason. It's not the real reason for why they had to make their way to Nazareth, from Nazareth to their own city of Bethlehem, while Mary, if you remember, which we can see here in the account, while she was nine months pregnant. Now, for a minute here, ladies, as we move on, those of you who have had children, remember when you were nine months pregnant? Can you remember that? I remember when my wife was. She was so comfortable. 
She loved it. It was the best time. Actually, she was a very uncomfortable time of the pregnancy. So keep that in mind. And guys, if you have had wives who are pregnant, think about that as we, we study and read this. And, and when we see that, that Mary was nine months pregnant at this time with Jesus, what we see in relationship to the events that are being told to us here, we're being told with Caesar Augustus in the decree that it was simply the means by which God's prophetic will was brought to pass. Caesar Augustus's decree was simply the means by which God's prophetic will was brought to pass. And what do I mean by that? And what, and what I mean is that when you consider that some 400 years prior to this event that we're reading about here, God had foretold of things through the prophet Micah, words recorded in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which declare this. It says, the one to be ruler over Israel, speaking of the Savior, the, 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 the one who is the Christ the Lord, the, the one who would rule and reign, whose origin is from everlasting, it says, he shall come from Bethlehem. The very city in which the Savior was to be born is accounted for us 400 years before it ever happened. God declared it, and God brought it to pass. In fact, God had promised many other things that would, for us and for those people in that day and generations to follow, God promised many other things, prophetically speaking, that would identify the Savior and set him apart as the one whom God would send to save us that had been spoken about by many other prophets in the Bible. Many, 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 many prophecies regarding the birth, just simply the birth of the Messiah in which Jesus fulfilled these things perfectly, had no control over to be able to set himself up to be the one that was prophesied about. Things like he would be a Jew, not a Gentile. Significant. The Bible prophesied that. Said that he would come from the tribe of Judah. That he would specifically come from the line of Jesse. Come from the house of David. Multiple prophecies over and over again for these specific things. And even according to the prophet Isaiah, that he, the Savior, would be born of a virgin, who we know from our study last week, was Mary. That she would conceive and give birth to the Savior. And when Mary had said at that time, had said, listen, she said, think about it in regards to the prophetic word of God. She said to the angel Gabriel when he gave her this news that she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring, forth, bring forth the Savior, she said this. She said, let it be to me according to your word. Whose word was that? It was God's word. Let it be according to me. Let it be to me according to your word. And that was in response, like I said, to the news that the angel Gabriel had brought to her about being the mother of the Messiah. In light of this, we have to realize how she meant by that statement that from then on, Mary, that she would be willing to be a part of the fulfillment of God's prophecy. So everything that we read in this chapter, it occurred, it took place just as the scriptures had said. And, and Caesar, Caesar Augustus, he unknowingly played his part. And the, very, and the, and the, the fulfillment of, of every biblical prophecy for us is a testimony to what we read in Acts chapter 15, verse 18, where Peter said, 
to the, to the council in Jerusalem regarding prof- the prophecies of God, he said this, known to God from eternity is all of his works. Known to God from his eternity is all of his works. The point is, is even though Caesar Augustus was the ruler who issued this decree that we read about here, God was the one who was in charge. Man, that gives me assurance today, comfort today, when I think about the leaders who God has put over us. God's in charge. The Bible tells us the heart of the king is in the hands of God. God's in charge. God was the one who was in charge bringing forth his plans. And just like God has been faithful in the past to do what he has said, prophetically speaking, what he will do, we should look forward to the prophetic things that God has spoken that is yet to come that he said will bring forth with great assurance. And working behind the scenes, he, God, like he does today, used Caesar's decree to bring forth his plan. And in doing so, he moved Mary. God moved Mary and he moved Joseph the 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word in regards to the Messiah, the Savior, being born in the city of Bethlehem. In light of this, we can see how it's rightly been said about our God that history is his story. In fact, President James Garfield once called history the unscrolled roll or the unrolled scroll of prophecy. History, human history. The unrolled scroll of prophecy. And if we, like Mary, will allow for God's word to be the thing which controls and directs our lives, okay? If we, like Mary, will allow for God's word, let it be according to your word, she said. If we allow for God's word to be the things which control, the thing which controls and directs our lives, then we too will find ourselves in the place of God's will in regards, listen guys, in regards to the current events of future prophetic history. Don't you want to be in the right place at the right time? knowing that God's got a perfect plan for all of our lives. And in regards to God's prophetic word and bringing forth of his will, God had spoke to his prophet Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 12, and he said this. He said, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. Should we not also see well? There were some who did at this time of Christ's birth as they were looking for the Messiah. We'll read about them at the end of this chapter specifically. But there were others, many, many others, who were not looking well to God's prophetic word and the things that God had said he would do. And as a result, they missed out on some very cool things. You have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. But even though though God, who is sovereign, guys, and faithful to do what he has said he will do. Listen, it does not mean that we will be spared from difficult things. Just because we've allowed for his word to be the very thing that guides the way that we live our lives. And if you have ever read, it's talking about Jeremiah, if you've ever read and studied through the book of Jeremiah, who had seen well Uh, to see God watching over his word and and looking to perform it even in his day. If you know the story of Jeremiah, who's often referred to as the suffering prophet, you know that this great prophet of God, he encountered very many difficult things as he allowed for God's word to guide him into God's will. And we will see the same thing to be true. We see the same to be true for Mary. 
as, as the 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem must have been very difficult for her considering she was nine months pregnant, ready to give birth. Because even if she'd been able to travel, I just kind of figured this out, if she, even if she'd been able to travel 10 miles a day, it still meant nine days on the back of a donkey while being nine months pregnant. How's that sound? In light of this, I think it's reasonable to assume that when Mary came to the end of this journey and she finally reached Bethlehem, and she would have been exhausted. She probably would have wanted a room and a bed so that she begin to make the necessary preparations for the birth of her son. But as we read on here in Luke in verse 7, you see that we're told that there was, there was a problem. There was no room left in the inn. Therefore, none of these things were provided for her. No bed, no way to prepare, no rest. And so in a place that was far away from any of her family members, think about that, her mom, perhaps her sisters, these kinds of things, she was, she was by herself, in a sense, with Joseph. In a place that was far away from any of her family members, anything that was familiar, anything that was comfortable, Mary who had told the Lord, let it be according to your word, to me according to your word, they found shelter, her and Joseph, in a stable. And this is, this is the place where the animals were being kept. And in this place, she brought forth her son, our Savior. And she wrapped him, it says, in swaddling clothes, Luke tells us, and then she placed him in the manger. And I, I point all this out not because it's just not, not only because it's here in our text, but I point this out because even though, guys, even though Mary was clearly in God's will, there were trials and challenges that she faced. And it's right for us, the Bible tells us, in fact, it's right for us to expect that even to expect that even when we are in the midst of God's will, that there are going to be trials and challenges that we face. But even though we face difficult things, it does not mean, as we often want to conclude, it does not mean that we're not being blessed by God. See, when I enter into a trial or a challenge and a very difficult thing comes into my life, you know, I, I, I react with, why, God, have you cursed me? What are you doing to me? What have I done wrong? How do I get out of this? And we, in our natural sense, go to that place, but we can't go there and come to this conclusion that we're not being blessed by God when we're in these things. Clearly, Mary was being blessed by God in this situation. And I believe we see this example with Mary's situation when we keep in mind that the trials and the challenges that she faced was for God's divine purpose. And even though these things were very difficult for Mary to go through, God had her best in his mind. You know that God has our best in his mind when we're going through trials and challenges and difficult things? He had her best, Mary's best, in his mind even in the midst of Mary's trials and challenges. And we see in this thing, guys, right here, an awesome passage of Scripture out of the book of Romans that tells us that God was in this very moment and does for us as well. He works all things together for good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. So as a part of God's prophetic and sovereign plan, which had been handed down from the beginning of time, 
Joseph and Mary were drawn to the little town of Bethlehem, to the city where the Savior of the world was to be born. Yet, as we read on, we see that Joseph and Mary were not the only ones drawn, if you will, to Bethlehem on that holy night. And unlike Joseph and Mary who had been drawn by Caesar's decree, as we read on, we see that there were these shepherds whom Luke writes about in the following verses that were drawn by the angel of the Lord. And in verse 8, we read this, and it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings, good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and good will toward men. Now this, this had to have been, if you put yourself there, this had to have been a mind-blowing experience. Not simply because an angel had come, but the message itself was mind-blowing. There's a Savior. He's been born. The Savior of the world. This King, the one that you've been waiting for. And by the way, you're going to find him in the stable in Bethlehem, lying in a manger. At this point, faith has to take over in order for the response that we see the shepherds make to come forth. Faith has to be there. And it had to buy a mind-blowing experience, not only that, but for these shepherds who saw this angel and, and, and saw the glory of the Lord shining all around them. And we're told that their response is that they were greatly afraid. Which, by the way, I'll point it out again, Every time you see something like this in Scripture, people are greatly afraid. It's a supernatural thing. But think about it for a second. Shepherds who, who, who were in the fields like these guys, they were no wimps. They didn't have a safe place. <laughs> they were tough. In fact, shepherds were some of the most courageous and toughest guys in all of Israel. To begin with, they were accustomed to staying outside all day and all night, no matter what the weather was, in order to watch over and protect their flocks. Furthermore, they were willing to fight off, we're told, wild beasts and thieves that threatened to harm or to take even one of their sheep. These guys were tough. Yet according to verse 9, we're told that when they saw the angel of the Lord standing before them and the glory of the Lord shining all around them, they were, it says, greatly afraid. But this is only half of it. For, for after they were given the announcement of the birth of the Savior and they were told where they could find him, this Savior, there was this explosion of noise. There was this explosion of noise that was heard like no other explosion I believe that had ever been heard as verse 13 tells us that the whole host of voices then 
suddenly sung out and gave praise to God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I imagine that it was dark because it was night. I imagine that it was quiet. I imagine that their attention was all given to this angel and this light that was shining all around them. And then boom, this heavenly host comes singing and saying the praises of God. And this multitude that is spoken of in verse 13 that sung out these praises of God um, in verse 14 is commonly believed, the the natural assumption is, is that they were a group of angels. And, and, and if this is the case, the word host in this passage, which is the Greek word strataia, that is used here to describe this multitude, is literally referring to a whole army of angels. Thousands, probably ten thousands. A whole army of angels. And, and, and to have been in the still of the night and to have heard the voices of an army of angels singing out in praise of God would have been an awesome and perhaps even terrifying experience. However, this Greek word for the for the for for that we have here for host, the strataia, is also used to describe the stars of the heaven when you look up at night. In light of this, I'll just put that out this out there. In light of this, there's a possibility that what the shepherds heard was not an army of angels, but that it was in fact the stars in the night sky crying out and giving praise to God. And and you know what? I don't think that this is such a far-fetched thought, especially in light of the fact that Jesus, if you remember, near the end of his life would say to the Pharisees who were scoffing at him and and, and rebuking him, he he said, I tell you that if these, speaking of his disciples, as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and they were declaring him to be king, he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, he said, the stones themselves would immediately begin to cry out. And if the stones could have cried out and declared Jesus to be the king who came in the name of the Lord, if his disciples had stopped declaring, I think it's safe to consider that on that night when Jesus was born, that the stars could have sung out and also given glory and praise to God. Maybe, maybe not. But whatever the case might have been, either would have been a truly amazing experience. Nevertheless, I find it interesting, and I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that the very first announcement of the Messiah's birth, of the, of the Savior's birth, was given to some shepherds in a field who aren't even mentioned by name. Does it seem odd? It seems a little odd to me. That when God would send his only begotten son into the world to save the world, that the first people he would tell would be shepherds who aren't even mentioned by name. And we stop to think about this. I don't know about you, but I might, I might, we might wonder, I wonder why this angel of the Lord wasn't sent to the high priest or to the other religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, any of them. After all, these guys, these were the ones who were in charge of the spiritual care of God's people. And who better to receive the message that the Savior who is Christ the Lord, had been born. Who better to receive it? 
However, God did not announce the birth of his son, Jesus, to the priest, to any of the priests at this time, or to the religious leaders. He told it to these shepherds. It says, these shepherds who were in the fields keeping watch over their flocks. The first thing that we're told about these guys that can't be missed is that these guys are faithful guys. Right? It's in, it's in the night, and they're watching over their flock. They're faithful. That's a key as to why God might do this, why God might make his, this announcement known to them. You see, in light of this, I think it's right to ask, why did God choose shepherds? And it's just my opinion, just so you know, it's not doctrine, but it, it's, 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 it's reasonable when we look at this. And I think God first told the shepherds this message because they, they we know, in regards to society at the time, they were social outsiders, the shepherds were, simply as a result of their profession. And not only did their work make them ceremonially unclean, their work made it difficult for them to come to the temple so that they might, meet, that they might be made clean. And because of this, they were, they were looked down upon. They were looked down upon. But is it not so that those who are lowly in the eyes of the world, those who are seen perhaps are as unclean, are exactly the type of people whom God tells us he had come to save? Right? In fact, this, this is the type of people, when we study the life of Jesus Christ, this is the, the, the type of people Jesus often went to. This is the type of people that Jesus hung out with. This is the type of people that Jesus would sit and eat a meal with. And this, uh, this amazed, and we're not even that it even disgusted, the, the self-righteous religious leaders of the day who did not receive the announcement of the Savior's birth. Yet Jesus explained why he did this in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, when he simply said this. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, Right? But those who are sick, and I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And, and we know there's, there's, there's none that are righteous, right? The fact of the matter is, is every one of us have sinned, including these religious leaders that he's speaking about. All, all of us have sinned. Every one of us has sinned, the Bible says. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no righteousness, in fact, every person, every person needs to repent. And God calls all, it says, to repentance. Not just some, he calls all to repentance. But guys, not every person, and for, for a huge part of my life, I was that person. Not every person is humble and willing to admit that they're spiritually sick and in need of a physician like the religious leaders in Jesus' day. And today, you guys know, there are many people who are full of pride and unwilling to admit that there's anything wrong with them. So, these shepherds, I think, who are the, 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 the contrast to what we see or what we just talked about, these shepherds gives us a picture. They give us a picture of the poor, of the humble, of the lowly person who admits their need for a Savior and then joyfully receives God's plan of salvation and good news of the Savior when it's presented to them. That's what we see. They heard it, they received it, and they were filled with joy. They rejoiced. 
And God knew. And I believe this is, this is a, a, a part of the reason for why, for why they were first to be told this good news message about the birth of Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. Now, another reason for why I believe they were first to receive this angelic birth announcement was in light of the fact that the Messiah came. Remember, what, what did he come for? What did he come to do? And, and, and we're told specifically, he says, I'm the good shepherd. We know that he came to be both the good shepherd who selflessly provides and protects for his sheep, but he also came to be the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And just a real interesting thought as I was studying through some of this, there are some Bible scholars that speculate that these very shepherds who are not mentioned by name, but yet because of where they are at at this time, that these shepherds were the ones whose job it was to take care of the very lambs that would be used as the sacrifices for the temple services. Maybe, maybe not, but that's interesting when you consider what role they played here and what, what Christ was sent to do. The bottom line is it was appropriate for them to receive this good news message, this good news message of a birth of a Savior, and it was appropriate to have them um, to have it been first given to these shepherds since it points us to remember who Jesus came for and what Jesus came to do. Now in verse 15 as we read on, it says, So it was, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. Faith, right? And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary, were told, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned. Then they returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Now, if you look here back to verse 15, it says that the shepherds had to travel. They had to travel from where they were at in order to get Bethlehem. And even if that was just in the fields outside, um, um, it's significant and truly, we don't know how far they had to go or how long it took for them to get to Bethlehem, but when they got there, apparently they had to search for Jesus. They had to search for Jesus in order to find him. And, and I point this out in light of the word found in verse 16. It's the Greek word aneurysko, aneurysko, sorry. And it means this, it means to find by searching. To find by searching. And I, I, I point this out because upon receiving the news from the angel, it's, we see they believed. They took the message and they believed. Now, it was, it was a pretty powerful scene. And, 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 and we might go, yeah, how could they not believe? They were, they were met with an angel, right, in the glory of the Lord. But think not too far back to Zacharias, the priest of God who was in the 
in the in the tabernacle in the and he was he was in the holy tabernacle meeting place there in the temple and and he was praying to God and angel appeared to him and gave him also a good news message and what does it say about him it says that he had unbelief see lots of people see the hand of God working in their life and see things that they will even testify as a miraculous event but yet still do not submit their lives to God, still remain in this place of unbelief. It's an issue with the heart. But yet here they believed. And how do we know it? Because they went to see the thing which the angel of the Lord had made known to them. If they had not believed, they would have just stayed in the field. But they went, they searched until they found what they had been told. They put their feet to their faith And when they stepped out of their fields in faith and into Bethlehem, they found what they were looking for, and as a result of it, they were blessed. That's what faith does. It leads us to the place of blessing. And the fact of the matter is, is these shepherds are good examples for us to imitate, I think. They received by faith the message that God had sent to them and responded by going to see the sign. What was the sign? The babe laying in the manger, which the angel had told them about. Then, according to verse 17, it says, After they had seen him, they went and told others about the things that they had seen and heard. Again, faith. Faith in what they had heard, faith in what they had seen, and then they went and proclaimed. Justin, if you want to come back up, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up this morning with this. In closing, guys, I want to point out a couple of things. First, it is significant that God, as we've already spoken a little bit about in previous to God given this in birth and birth announcement, but it's, it's, it's significant that God chose the shepherds not only to, to, to receive the birth announcement and, and, and to um, uh, go in and, and, and witness with their eyes what had been made known to them, but it was, it was significant that God did the other part too in that he chose the shepherds to be a witness. He chose them to be a witness and bear testimony of, uh, 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 to the fact that the Messiah had come. That was the second part of this choosing that God had chose them for. And this is significant because at this time, the Jewish historian Josephus writes, and he tells us that shepherds overall, being an outcast in Jewish society, but they were not even permitted to testify as a witness in the courts. If, you commit, if someone committed a crime against you and the only person to see it was a shepherd, you were out of luck when it went to court. You had no witness. But yet God chose these guys, again, as a societal outcast, to bear witness of perhaps the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. To be his witnesses. And this is because God saw things... <laughs> God saw things. God saw these shepherds differently than the world sees these things, than the world sees the shepherd. In that, what the world found to be as unwanted or as unacceptable, God saw as valuable. And he used some humble shepherds to be the first human witnesses to proclaim 
that the prophecy had been fulfilled and that the Messiah had been born. And this is still the way that God works today. It's still the way that he works today. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it tells us this. The Apostle Paul writes, listen, I know you've heard this for probably before this passage of Scripture, but think about this in light of what God's done here and what God wants to do in us. And, 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 and he says this. He says, he says, for you see your calling. What was their calling? To go and see, to exercise faith, to receive this good new message, and then to go and be a witness of it. Perhaps the most unlikely group of people for this call, Right? And think about it. How many times do you feel led or called by God to do something, hopefully to be a substitute in Sunday school, and you go, I, I, not, I, uh, God, certainly there's somebody better qualified for that. Or whatever it is, right? But that's not how God works. What we see as invaluable, what the world sees invaluable, God goes, I can work with that. Right? He says, for you see your calling, brethren, not, not many are wise according to flesh, not many are mighty, not many are noble who are called. But God, he has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And God has chosen the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh can glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And is that not the response of the shepherds? And, and we can seriously, honestly doubt and God knew what he was doing for sure, we could seriously, honestly doubt if that would have been the response of these self-righteous, prideful religious leaders in this day who thought that they were it. And in light of that, guys, we have to check our own heart on both sides of the coin so that we can say like Mary, ultimately, Lord, let it be to me according to your word to be a part of God's plan, to be used by him so that he, may be getting, so that he may get the glory, so that he may be glorified. The point is, the shepherds in this situation, think about it. Let me, let me, let me try to connect this. The shepherds, they could have gone back to their fields and returned to their duties and never told anyone about what they had seen and heard. Could they have not? After all, who was going to listen to them anyway? They're not even validated witnesses for the court of law. But to testify of this, they could have just gone back to their fields. But they didn't. And we see that they were willing to tell others about what they had seen. And it was because of this. They, the lowly, had been shown such a great thing. And in that, we see ultimately that they had experienced the grace of God. Someone who was undeserving received something so great. The grace of God. God's unmerited favor. And the same needs to be true for us who have also received this great grace of God. And telling others about Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has come to give to us is a great privilege. It's a great honor. And we, have, and we who have seen and come to believe, we must be faithful, 
The shepherds were what? Faithful. We were faithful to tell others about this same grace and forgiveness of God that they too can also have. Last thing I want to point out, look at verse 20. It tells us that the shepherds returned from their encounter and they celebrated by glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and for all the things that they had seen. See, there's a response to the grace of God. It's a testifying to what God has done and who he is. This this is a repeated theme that keeps coming up. We've looked at this many times already in this short study that we've gone through in the Gospel of Luke already, praising God. And the fact of the matter is, is meeting and knowing Jesus and experiencing the grace of God, it'll change your life. And it'll change your life and it'll give you many reasons to rejoice, many reasons to celebrate, many reasons to praise God. So guys, as we enter into this Christmas season, may we keep Jesus, our Savior, who is Christ the Lord, in the front of our minds, in the center of our hearts, as we open our mouths and glorify and praise God for all the gracious things that we have seen and heard. Let's pray. Lord, may that be true. It is a wonderful time of year where we can remember the birth of our Savior and the salvation that has come to us and the work that you've done in our lives of making us new, of forgiving us of our sins through our faith in your Son, Jesus, that your unmerited favor has found its place upon us and in our lives. And God, may we be faithful, Lord, to tell others. May we be faithful to rejoice. May we be your witnesses. May we see ourselves as qualified for no other reason but for the fact that you've chosen us because of who you are, that you found favor in us, and that you desire to take these unwanted things that you see are, that the world sees as unwanted, that you see as valuable, and do a mighty thing in and through. God, may we be like Mary this morning and say, Lord, may it be according to your will, according to your word in our lives, even if it means trials, even if it means challenges, even if it means difficulties, because we know, God, that in that place is the place of blessing. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you guys stand? We're going to sing last song of worship and praise to God. And remind you, at the end of the song, there will be people up front here uh, to pray with you for any kind of thing that you need prayer for. So please come forward.